This is Coffee at KYUK, conversation between friends and neighbors. Come in and have a cup. Joining us for coffee this morning is Kuskokwim Consortium Library Director Teresa Quiner and Kuskokwim Campus Native Arts Coordinator Golga Oscar. On the phone is Anne Finup Reardon, one of three authors of the new book, Flying Parka. Here to speak with them is KYUK's Gabby Salgado. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So we're here to talk about the Flying Parka, and I'm just going to have, let's start with Anne. Can you explain what this book is? Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> or give like a, yeah. I don't know, a, a, two, a two-sentence summary, if possible. Uh, it's it's about a book about the meaning and making of parkas, um, all kinds of parkas, gut parkas, fur parkas, uh, um, fishkin parkas, and stories about, it begins with stories about parkas, and it ends with a section of bilingual translations of those same stories. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> what inspired this book? What drew you to parkas and and uh and and what what led you down that path? Well, you know, it's a good story because years ago I wrote a book which is politically uh incorrectly named these days um Freeze Frame Alaskan Eskimos in the in the movies. And that book started as an idea about images of Eskimos in children's literature, historical accounts, etc. I started with the section on movies, and that's what the book became. And this book is really similar because it, it grew during COVID when we couldn't go anywhere and do anything. And I was looking around my house for um, work we'd done with elders that we hadn't really put into book form. And I started with clothing, generally, you put clothing in that on, on that topic, I started with the parka part, and I never got out. There's just too much to say about parkas. <laughs> so that's how the book originated. And it was we worked on it during COVID when we couldn't meet with elders um, and couldn't meet with, with parka makers, contemporary parka makers. And I will say sort of what makes me smile today is that the original draft of the book was written in the past tense all about parkas that had been made and it was only really after the book was pretty much done that I realized there were people like Myrna Wharton and Golga Oscar making parkas today which is the truly happy ending to the story that that's what will make this weekend so so exciting to get together with Myrna and Golga as well as Alice and Marie and myself Can you tell us about your your parka making experience? So, they wrote this book about what parkas have been, how parkas have been made in the past. But you are currently making uh, fancy parkas. What what drew you to to making something like this that you don't often see uh, made anymore? Um, first off, I first time made a parka back in twenty. I mean, I started making a. I started producing my first parka back in 2019, and it wasn't until 2020s when I finished it. So it took me two years to accumulate all those materials. And um, what drew me to make that, what drew me in making that parka is um, that none of my family owned a fancy parka to, in this modern society. So 
creating that fancy parka was something special for me. And um, that parka that I created was a kulitak parka. I didn't know before creating it and after creating it, I didn't know the name of it until I, it wasn't a, it wasn't a year after when I found out the name of the parka. Because that parka came to my dreams and I was gifted by an elder. And this um, whole setting was taking place over at some huge community center. And when I observed that parka, it had, it had like armbands along with that um, black stripe falling down that arm. And yeah, it was such a unique dream. What did you learn in the process of making um, your parka? What was something that really stuck out to you, um, not only in like the sewing technique, but like about about the culture around parkas? The meaning, the meaning of all nooks, the meaning of the Yupik color system, the number system. It wasn't until during pandemic is when I first started conducting research about my identity. These books that were created through Jellistar or UAF. Um, Teresa John's book, um, the one that she wrote, Yupik Yurariyagait, is one of the um, number system I learned from, including the color system, red, blue, black, and white. Yupik number system, three, four, five, and seven. And after learning about that, when I observed the tassels on a park, I started to familiarize the number system, including the color system, and how they're con- deeply rooted into the spiritual spirituality of the Yupi culture. That's amazing. I'm going to go back to you, Anne, and I'm also going to ask you what you, what is like one of the big takeaways? I imagine there's there's many, but what was one of the, the big takeaways for you from this this book? Well, uh, again, probably the most important is that these these uh, these traditions are not dead. They are lived traditions. Would be the the most important one. The, the section of the book that was written first is the very last section on the atahuac, a little one piece piece child's uh, child's one piece um, suit made out of six um, bird skins, and that was something we <clears throat> we heard about just before COVID. Um, Marie, uh, Alice and I heard about it during a, a, a New York um, curriculum project, and then we found that there were that it wasn't it, it, it wasn't something these little one piece outfits. We heard about them. I hadn't ever seen one. We'd never seen one in museum collections. But we found that there were women in Nelson Island that still that had seen them and used them in their youth and could make them today. So we went out to Tuxup and tried to make one, which was really exciting experience. So that finding that these traditions were not long dead was probably the biggest takeaway for me. That's amazing. Um, I'm curious about how a project like this with all these collaborators gets done. What was it like for you to go out and interview these people? Was there like a particular story that you found really inspiring or just like you knew the minute you heard it, it was like this one has to go in the book? <laughs> well, that's, again, Gabby, because this happened during COVID, it was built on conversations that have been going on for really for decades now, um, conversations with elders. And a lot of those were, were um, a lot of the conversations and the questions asked were uh, initiated by both Alice Reardon and Marie Mead. 
And what I was doing during COVID was going over transcripts and, and looking up, with, looking at things that we had been told in the past and we, we kind of, we not really brushed under the rug, but we'd gone past and not paid enough attention to. And when I saw the, sto- the story of the flying parka, I, I'd heard that since 2000. Paul John told that story many times. And I've always loved the story. And in thinking about clothing, that story really popped out as, oh, my, this is wonderful. <laughs> um, there are lots of cool parka stories. Parkas pop up in, in many oral accounts, and uh, I, those really excite me. Um, there is the sort of the flying parka that the, that the book is named for. Um, another of my favorites, uh, Frank Andrew tells a, a, a very cool war story of a, um, a, a, a man, a warrior, Going down the river, wearing going down the river in his kayak, and he comes across a war a war party. And so, what he does is he pretends that he doesn't see them and goes out into the into the river and goes the other direction. And then he goes back on himself, turns his parka inside out, rearranges the tools on his kayak, and goes out again. Um, and then he comes back on himself again and puts a a gut parka over his other parkas, rearranges his tools again goes back into the river, and at that point, the war party thinks that there are many people in front of them and turns around and leaves. So <laughs> there are lots of great parka stories if you're looking for them. Amazing. And so <laughs> um, I might turn to Teresa now. We There is a, a reading of or a... More of a discussion. A discussion of the flying parka this Saturday. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So... <clears throat> Um, at 4 o'clock on Saturday at the Cultural Center, we'll have, you know, probably about an hour and a half long discussion with Anne and Golga and another skin sewer named Myrna Wharton. And Marie Mead, who's another contributor to the book, will be flying out. And then Alice Reardon, who lives here in Bethel, will also participate. So we'll just have a nice discussion at the Cultural Center about the book, about parkas. Um, we'll have some fry bread and coffee and tea, you know, for people who want to come and just visit. There will definitely <coughs> be a chance for audience participation, too, if people have questions about the book. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. We encourage people to come. We're also going to um, have it streaming on the library's YouTube channel. We've had a lot of requests from people that don't live in Bethel to participate in some way in the conversation. So we'll have that streaming at 4 o'clock as well. Awesome. And uh, so 4 o'clock at the library streaming live on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Um, Golga, what... What part did you play in this book? You were telling me um, before we hopped on that that you uh, are included in a section. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, um, I have a photo that was um, incorporated into the book in Parkas in Today's Society. Was that right, Anne? Yep, that's it. You're the happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> so it was. it's one of the first... Um, when you turn to that chapter, it's one of the first images that appear, and it's one of the most contemporary parkas that I produced. Um, while creating that parka, it was funded through the Rasmussen grant, and uh, it's a Kalik parka. Um, one of the things that I just learned a few months ago or last month was that Kalik um, originates from Guikluk, because um, there's a story behind that of a of a man that was um, captured by other regions and he was tortured but while he was running 
while he was escaping away from those um those on um, that group mm-hmm. the way that he was puking on sl- towards left to right that's how the um, shoulders became to be and i don't know how the sha- um the shield of the parka became to be but yeah um that qalq is more of a contemporary parka and the alnuqs that i created on there was also contemporary um but when it comes to the dumakchak of that parka that fancy trimming it's one of the designs that I incorporated from my my maternal grandmother's brother's biluguk design, along with my annan's um, dumakchak design. Um, grandmama Anngal, um, I think his last name was Andrews from Nunapichok. Yeah. So it's just a this fancy parka that you made. It kind of takes. Uh, or incorporates a bunch of different, a handful of different um, regional aspects and different ideas. Yes. That's amazing. Um, I feel like you might have answered this already, but how long did it take you to put together this fancy parka? It took me. It took me about a year. None of my, in today, none of my family, extended family, owns a kalik parka. From what I've. Um, been w- while growing up, so um, I had to go to the muse- Anchorage Museum and conduct other fancy parkas, Kalik parkas. One of the most, one of the parkas that I've most conduct uh, conducted was Elena Charles's parka, Kalik parka that was made out of mink, and it's really beautiful. It's w- very adorned. And through my observations, I use those ob- observations to make it, but although, you know, altering the design. And I've utilized some bengayut. Bengayut are caribou throat hair, um, along with other natural earth pigments. Bazogolit meaning violet blue colors, and rodorker. Awesome. And as we, as we start to close up, I'm really curious Golga what would you say to someone as as the example of like someone in the here and now making parkas what would you say to someone who is interested in getting into skin sewing who wants to make their their own fancy parka but but uh doesn't have that that uh family history of making parkas what would you say to someone who really wants to to try doing that I think one of the things that I really encourage is to conduct um research um, of images of you know the family history if if your family or jew latin your ancestors have if your family has images of your jew lacks i would strongly encourage um in observing any photos that were taken in the late 1900s and then you using that photo to recreate that parka you you a person can actually create a parka if he strives for it um there's um it does there's no such thing as I can't do it because you can you have hands and one of the things that really took me away from that book the flying the flying parka was back in the day um people from the coastal area, no matter if they um mainly focus on disa- disabled people they created such beautiful garments 
I, I think one of the books that, um, one of the sections that really stood out to me was that there was this one lady that only worked with her feet. And she created a fancy parka just, you know, working with her feet because her she didn't have any hands. And then some pe- some folks who didn't have any hands was also working with their mouth trying to, you know, be creative. So there's a, there's always, if there's a will, there's a way kind of thing. Awesome. Um, is there anything else you guys would like to add before we w- wrap up for today? Um, I would like to add that the book contains so much knowledge, so much history behind admonishments. towards One of the things that I learned was... Um, so, um, if they say that if a child wants to sit on that woman's lap while that woman is um, sewing, that woman should stop from that. That woman should stop sewing because it has a spiritual significance behind it. Something about you know their that child's life. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add that we have a copy of the book for checkout at the library if anybody wants to come and see it before the before Saturday. And then I think Anne is also bringing some copies for sale, and she'll have those on Saturday. Anne, is there anything else you'd yeah. like to add? No, just to thank you and thank both Goga and Teresa. This is I'm really looking forward to this conversation to get because we really didn't have that opportunity in making a book and getting Parker Makers and Alice and Marie and I together. This is just now happening. You could write, there, you could, there could be another hundred books about Parkas because there's so much uh, history in them and so many variations. So here we go again. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you. And don't forget to find your way to the library at 4 on Saturday or if you're not in Bethel or you can't make it, uh, tune into the YouTube live stream. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Guyana. Guyana. That's KYUK's Gabby Salgado speaking with Kuskokwim Consortium Library Director Teresa Quiner, Kuskokwim Campus Native Arts Coordinator Golga Oscar, and Anne Fina Reardon, one of three authors of the new book, The Flying Parka. I'll try to describe it, but also as a second. This is coffee at KYUK.